Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, my name's Roland Clark, and I'm here today on the New Books Network talking to Marius van Siedel, who's a sociologist by training, and he's an assistant professor of global health at Duke Kunshan University. His work examines the social categorization of patients, the emergency triage decision-making process, um, the economy of favors in healthcare settings, and the access to health services by vulnerable populations. Marius, this is a book about emergency rooms in two hospitals in Romania, but it's talking about how emergency rooms triage patients, which is a problem all over the world. What's uniquely Romanian about your story? Thank you, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I think the emergency departments all over the world uh, are in a deep crisis now because the need for emergency healthcare is uh, much higher than the resources that are available to satisfy it. And there are several factors that are contributing to this problem. Uh, some of them have to do with the availability, accessibility, and affordability of primary care. Uh, in Romania, where I conducted my fieldwork, uh, people who are covered by the national health insurance can receive care from family doctors for free. People without health insurance can also receive medical services, but they need to pay for everything out of pocket, for medical consultation, for uh, lab tests, for medicines. Uh, which can be uh, quite expensive. So being insured is uh, necessary, but very often uh, it is insufficient to uh, get good primary care services because the appointments uh, with the family doctor are sometimes difficult to make. The family doctors may be booked for several days or even several weeks because they have a, a daily cap of 20 patients a day. And with many people having uh, chronic problems, people with acute uh, illnesses may have uh, difficulty in uh, getting an appointment with a family doctor. And also in some uh, areas, especially in the rural areas, uh, there is the problem of doctor absenteeism. So many people uh, who may go to primary care services uh, may be eligible to go to uh, receive primary care services actually uh, find themselves in the impossibility of doing so. So um, the persons um, uh, who may uh, go to the family doctor uh, may also decide not to do that for various reasons. One of them is that uh, at the emergency department, they can uh, get uh, all the medical examinations in the space of a few hours instead of spending a number of days uh, in order to do that outside the the hospital. 
And also there are people who believe that the emergency department uh, is staffed with better specialists as compared to the family doctor's offices where there are only general practitioners. So these are the, uh, the conditions uh, in Romania. And uh, I conducted uh, my fieldwork uh, between uh, 2013, 2014. And this was just a few years after the reorganization of the emergency departments. So before the reorganization, uh, the emergency departments only catered for the life-threatening conditions and uh, the injuries. And uh, the doctors, uh, nurses, and clerks, many of them have worked under the previous organization and considered it to be beneficial to everyone involved, uh, starting from patients and uh, going to doctors and also the health system in general. So you did your field work in two different hospitals. Um, can you tell us a bit about your experience during field work? Like, how did the nurses and doctors in the hospitals respond to you following them around and being in the room? Yes. Uh, so uh, this was the, the research design. I uh, did uh, my initial research in a county hospital. Um, for people who are not familiar with Romania, uh, there are 40 counties. Uh, and uh, each county has a population of more or less 500,000 people. And in each uh, county, there is a county hospital that has an emergency department. Uh, so I conducted uh, five months of um, fieldwork at the county hospital. And then I realized that probably it would be better to also look uh, for differences um, uh, as compared to the bigger cities. The larger municipalities have several hospitals uh, that have emergency services. So I decided uh, to uh, do this comparative study. When I started the, the research, I expected that uh, doctors and nurses and the triage clerks um, would not be very welcoming. And there are very good uh, reasons for uh, uh, having these expectations because it is very difficult to have somebody spending uh, several hours a day for several months uh, in a place that is as busy, as crowded, and as prone to contention as the emergency department. So I expected that I would be regarded as a nuisance, uh, I would be ignored or uh, even be treated with hostility. However, this did not happen. Actually, the nurses uh, and uh, the clerks uh, were welcoming me. And uh, the reason why they uh, were very favorable to my presence was uh, that they considered that the emergency department is uh, resembling a besieged fortress is under constant threat and uh, under constant attacks, especially from the media that tends to report only on uh, situations of alleged discrimination or malpractice or other things going wrong. Also, uh, they feel uh, under constant attack uh, from the patients and their families and also from the health uh, authorities. So they considered that uh, my PhD uh, and the publications that I will uh, write uh, would be an opportunity to also present the other side of the emergency department, to uh, show that the emergency department is a place in which uh, the nurses are doing a very difficult work and they work under conditions of uh, uh, stress and they have to deal with uh, patients that uh, are very often unhappy with uh, the outcomes 
uh, and they wanted all these things to be made public so that uh, the, the public would get a more uh, comprehensive understanding of what it means to work in an emergency department. So uh, this was um, an unexpected opportunity for me because in practice, this meant uh, that uh, the nurses uh, were very willing to let me understand why they are making some decisions and how they made those decisions. So they socialized me. They explained to me uh, what was the rationale, what was their way of seeing things, what was their way of understanding the patients and their behavior. Uh, and this was very valuable for my research. My research would not have been possible were it not for this support from the staff. Um I remember you mentioning in the book that in one of the hospitals this changed near the end of your research. Is that right? Yes, that's uh, that's right. Uh, there was a moment when I was uh, regarded with uh, suspicion. I was regarded as a potential spy. And uh, the incident uh, occurred towards my end. I only spent about one month, maybe a little bit more than one month there. And uh, because I was running out of time, I was doing my PhD in Hong Kong and I had the flights booked. I wanted to get as much data as possible. So I stayed uh, longer hours and I spent one entire night at the emergency department to see what is going on at nighttime. And I think this behavior was regarded as uh, very suspicious by some of the uh, doctors and nurses. But I only learned about uh, this incident after I left the field in conversation with one of the participants that I befriended. Uh, during the field, I could uh, see that incident um, through the behavior of the uh, nurses and the clerks. Some of them were unwilling to uh, talk to me, to give me interviews, uh, even though we have spent lots of time together and we are in a situation of uh, friendship. Um, others were uh, unwilling to recommend me to other people to introduce me in order to uh, get access to them and get more uh, insights. But overall, I would say that this did not uh, affect the data collection because it occurred at the end of the, the fieldwork. Mm. It's interesting how people's perceptions change all of a sudden sometimes. That's right. But I think it was uh, in reaction to my behavior. Probably I should have explained them that I'm running out of time and I want to do as much as possible. Uh, probably uh, from an objective point of view, my behavior was a little bit suspicious. <laughs> um, in the book, you, you say that ER workers have a clear distinction between what they see the mission of the emergency room is compared to the mission of a family doctor. What did your informant say was the purpose of emergency rooms and how was that different to the day-to-day -day experience of them working in, a, in one? Indeed, uh, as I mentioned earlier, before 2007 at the county hospital and 2010 at the city hospital, the emergency department was organized differently. It only attended to the life-threatening cases and uh, the severe injuries. All the other cases are being uh, examined in the outpatient uh, world of the, the hospital. But this arrangement uh, was uh, deemed uh, uh, not uh, very uh, cost uh, effective and also as uh, deleterious to the patient. I had an interview with uh, one of the people who were involved in the policy change 
And uh, he explained to me that uh, from his point of view, the previous arrangement was uh, resembling the situation of playing ping pong using the patient as a ball because there were several specialties and the doctors working in the inpatient world would sometimes, uh, when they were less busy, go to the outpatient world. And usually they redirected one patient uh, to another service and they had to wait for several hours. And then the same patient may be sent back to the initial doctor. So this was regarded as uh, uh, very bad to the, to the patient. Uh, now, when it comes to doctors and nurses, they consider that the previous arrangement was much better. Many of them worked uh, before the reorganization of the emergency department, and they could see various advantages. One of them was uh, obviously in terms of work conditions. Uh, they didn't have the overcrowding that uh, was uh, a big problem at the time of uh, conducting fieldwork. But even more important than that, they consider that uh, actually by having uh, lots of uh, uh, time to devote to the severe cases, the doctors could improve their skills. And the emergency service was a highly specialized one as compared to uh, the service nowadays when most of the cases are trivial. Uh, they uh, belong to primary care rather than uh, emergency medicine. Uh, at the same time, they also mentioned that uh, this uh, arrangement uh, is not uh, beneficial to the patient because instead of uh, being seen by a family doctor who can monitor the progress, the evolution of their disease, uh, now they only get uh, short-term uh, uh, symptom relief without addressing the root causes of the problem. Uh, so they, they regarded that uh, the emergency room should not be uh, a substitute for primary care they should complement each other rather than being used interchangeably. But in their day-to-day -day, uh, practice, they observed that uh, the vast majority of the presentations were for trivial problems. For example, ongoing cough or headaches or um, uh, symptoms of uh, uh, chronic diseases. Uh, these things that could be handled better by the family doctors rather than the emergency room. And it also means that emergency rooms become very even busier places. And when you've got a lot of patients in the waiting room, triage staff need to decide quickly which cases are urgent and which ones aren't. And you point out that they do this by deciding whether the case is legitimate or not. What criteria go into deciding whether someone's a legitimate patient? Yes, so uh, this is uh, um, a concept that I uh, got from the literature. Uh, in their day-to-day -day, uh, talk, uh, the nurses uh, discuss about real emergencies uh, or genuine emergencies as compared to the cases that are not real or genuine emergencies. So a legitimate case is a case that fits the mission of the emergency department as the staff regards it. That is, it's a condition that is either life-threatening or acute. For example, uh, bleeding as a result of an injury, even though uh, it may be mi uh, minor, is regarded as belonging to the uh, 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 field of competence of the emergency uh, room. Whereas other problems that may be more serious but could be handled by the family doctor would not be regarded as legitimate. So uh, there is a scale that uh, uh, theoretically the nurses uh, should follow uh, in order to assess the 
uh, legitimacy of the case. However, in practice, uh, they do not uh, use it that much for various reasons. One of them is that uh, it's uh, very complicated. And the second one is that they don't have lots of factual information. They have to rely a lot on what the patient says. And this is one of the biggest concerns for the triage nurses or clerks because they have to, first of all, evaluate the trustworthiness of the patient as a reporter of symptoms. Because from what they have told me, patients have very strong incentives not to be honest when they are presenting their case. Because by doing that, they have the ability to get admitted faster. Uh, at the same time, they have very little to lose in case uh, their uh, dishonesty is revealed because these interactions are fleeting and very often the patients would not return uh, to the emergency department anytime soon. So there is no uh, penalty for not being honest. So the examination of trustworthiness is one of the informal criteria based on which uh, the nurses and clerks determine the legitimacy of the case. Another criterion is uh, the timing of the presentation, especially at what time the patients uh, go to the department. They are typifying their clientele based on the, the timing of arrival. And generally, the rule of thumb is that if the patient comes to a at a time that is convenient, to people uh, um, uh, from the same category, this means that the likelihood of a genuine emergency is lower. For example, they have seen that uh, the elderly tends to come very early in the morning. For the very young people, going late, especially in the summer months when it's very hot outside, going from 10 p.m. to midnight is very convenient. So if there is an elderly that goes around midnight, there would be a higher likelihood that the person is really experiencing something distressing. Uh, if uh, the same patient with the same complaints goes at uh, 5.30 or 6 a.m., it may not be regarded as a genuine emergency or other things being equal. Also, the triage nurses and clerks are looking at the uh, frequency of the visits to the emergency department because if a person is a frequent visitor to the emergency department, it means that they are already familiar with the moral evaluation criteria. So they know how to present their case uh, in order to increase the likelihoods of getting a quick admission. So generally speaking, the uh, scrutiny of these uh, frequent visitors is much higher than in the case of occasional um, uh, visitors. Also, the legitimacy is uh, inferred from the way in which the patient talks during the admission interview and the way in which the person acts in the waiting room. And I have discussed the, the strategies uh, that the patients uh, do and also the uh, aspects uh, uh, that the triage nurses uh, pay attention to when assessing the patient. So long story short, I would say that uh, there are a lot of non-clinical considerations that uh, go into the framing of the case as being a real emergency or a legitimate case were um, a fake emergency or non-legitimate one. You also talk about reasonableness. Yes. Um, or whether the patient should really have gone to see their family doctor instead of the ER. Um, so how do triage staff decide whether a patient's visit is reasonable? 
Uh, indeed. So um, I mentioned that uh, the the concept of legitimacy uh, is corresponding to an uh, emic uh, concept, uh, that of real emergencies. In the case of reasonableness, uh, there was uh, no talk about such thing among the uh, the doctors, nurses, and clerks. This is uh, a concept that I uh, developed uh, myself by looking at uh, those cases that were not regarded as legitimate, but were treated as legitimate. At the beginning, I believe that there will be just some exceptions, something that may be due to the um, various contingencies, the personality of the uh, person conducting the triage assessment or the crowding of the emergency room and so on. But then after uh, investigating all these cases, I. Uh, realize that actually there are some commonalities. So uh, reasonableness refers to um, cases that are not legitimate, but for which the patient cannot be blamed. So uh, generally, uh, I have identified two conditions that need to be meet, uh, met in order for a case to be regarded as reasonable. The first one is that the patient does not have any place to go to, for reasons that could not be uh, imputable to him or her. And the second one is that the patient has no immediate responsibility for the condition. And the first, uh, um, the first condition is very important because it provides some protection to those people in the areas in which the family practice is not very well developed. For example, people living in remote villages. In some villages uh, in the county where I conducted the parts of my research, uh, the distance, because it's a mountain area and uh, the, the villages are relatively small, there would be one doctor covering a surface of uh, 10, 12 kilometers. Uh, and the doctors would not be present every day at work, even though they may have, uh, you know, they, they should be open they are not coming every day. And the nurses have uh, this kind of inside knowledge and they regard these patients as uh, being uh, completely ignored by the health system. So reasonableness is a way of protecting some of the most vulnerable people, especially those from the rural areas. Uh, or places from the small communities in which the doctor is not available or is difficult to reach. Uh, what is interesting about reasonableness is that actually uh, some of the uh, conditions that uh, make it difficult for people to access the primary care service are not regarded as good grounds for a case to be judged as reasonable. For example, poverty is not considered as something outside the responsibility of the individual. Also, the discrimination that uh, many Roma people experience when dealing with the family doctors, even though it has been well documented, it is not regarded as a good ground to go to the emergency department and bypass the family practitioner. So uh, the reasonableness of the visit is uh, one of the most interesting findings of uh, this uh, project. And what I uh, observed is that actually the nurses are not ignorant of the uh, problems that affect the delivery of, or the organization of the healthcare. They are trying to provide a response and address some of the shortcomings in the organization of the primary healthcare, but they are not 
uh, engaged in, uh, uh, they do not have the structural sensitivity that would allow them to take into consideration all the structural conditions that are impacting the access to primary health care. Um, so that's interesting because a lot of these issues that go into reasonableness, they're not medical issues. Um, and you talk about in the book that one of the other factors that goes into determining legitimacy and reasonableness is what the triage staff consider someone's social worth to be. Indeed. So what sorts of people have high social worth or low social worth? Yes, this is uh, uh, less um, uh, strict as compared to the legitimacy and the reasonableness. There is some variation among uh, the staff uh, that I have observed when it comes to the assessment of the social worth. But uh, generally uh, speaking, the social worth uh, is related to the contribution that the individual makes to the society in general or to the family. Um, or to the general welfare, as I put it uh, in the book. Uh, generally, uh, the people who are productive members of the society or people who have been productive members of the society in the past, in the case of the elderly, they tend to be highly valued by the emergency department. People who are uh, working in the informal economy and who do not have a national health insurance uh, tend to be regarded as being low in worth. The level of education is also important. People with a high level of education tend to be regarded as more worthy than people with low level of education, all other things being equal. And also um, the behavior of the individual. If the individual abides by the dominant social values or not, uh, is important in making this assessment. So nurses and clerks are looking at the uh, marriage status uh, or a parenthood status uh, in order to determine whether an individual is making a contribution to the society or not. A person who has a very close-knit family is more likely to be treated benevolently as compared to a person who uh, does not have a family, does not have a job, does not have a lot of resources. Um, I mentioned the, uh, the fact that uh, the, the, general, the contribution to the general welfare is important. And one of the cases that I found uh, very intriguing, but I uh, could not uh, further develop in the book because I did not see enough instances, was that of uh, people who are living abroad, so Romanian migrants. Because on the one hand, they are regarded as being uh, worthy in terms of uh, you know their economic situation, but at the same time uh, they are regarded as unworthy because they are not paying taxes and they are not they are regarded as free riders of the medical system. So there was a little bit of a tension in the in assessing the social worth of the migrants abroad. Um, that's interesting. What about elderly people? Because uh, there's a lot of elderly people in a lot of emergency rooms. Yes, Romania is an aging society and uh, the aging of the society can also be seen at the emergency departments. And in the assessment of the elderly, there was also a little bit of uh, tension because in terms of social worth, uh, the elderly people were regarded as uh, uh, faring high. Uh, especially if they, as I mentioned earlier, had families or had a, a job, made a contribution uh, to the general well-being uh, during their active uh, work years. On the other hand, 
from a strictly medical point of view, they are very problematic, especially the very elderly, because very often they have uh, multiple morbidities and uh, the doctors uh, who are uh, uh, examining them need to engage in defensive medicine practices. So they have to rule out any kind of potential problem. They are not looking only at what the uh, patient complains about, but also at other possibilities. So usually uh, it takes a lot of time and more resources as compared to a younger patient. So uh, because of that, there is uh, this uh, tension between the uh, elderly who are faring high in terms of social worth, but whose legitimacy is not always very high. And in the book, I also looked at um, how the patients are uh, typified. And I saw that in the case of the elderly, there is a distinction between the people who have uh, just retired. So generally speaking, a person is regarded as being old at the moment of retirement, between 60 and 65 years old. Um, but the elderly are also divided into two types, the younger elderly and the real elderly, who are more or less after the age of 75, 80, or when the health condition deteriorates quite a lot. So in the case of uh, the people who are recently retired, uh, the judgment tends to be a little bit, uh, or the scrutiny tends to be a little bit higher than in the case of the very elderly. Uh, if they have the possibility to go to the family doctor for their uh, uh, condition and they do not do so, they tend to be regarded with a lot of hostility by uh, the triage nurses and the clerks. In the case of the very elderly, on the other hand, there is a little bit more benevolence. But here there is also a, a lot of difference, interpersonal difference. Um, what about Roma people? You've mentioned them before, and we'll come back to them again later. But are they treated differently to people from other social groups? Indeed. What I find uh, uh, fascinating uh, in doing the study was that uh, the Roma patients were typified as uh, having only negative characteristics. So uh, the judgment was very harsh. They have been uh, uh, presented as uh, being uh, people who, uh, you know, do not contribute much to the society, but who are very vocal and very demanding. Uh, there are people who, uh, as uh, some nurses mentioned, do not want to integrate. And they uh, also uh, are regarded as a nuisance in the, the hospital because uh, of uh, uh, some cultural aspects. The tendency of coming uh, accompanied by family members and a, a large group of people and uh, using the Romani language when talking to each other in the waiting room, being loud, being uh, very vocal. So the Roma people have been uh, uh, represented in a very stereotypical way, which was not the case with other categories of patients. As I mentioned in the case of elderly, there are two types of elderly that are handled slightly differently. The same goes with the social cases or the homeless people. There are people who are homeless, regarded to be homeless because they want to, they indulge in the life on the streets and people who ended up homeless because of a string of unfortunate circumstances. 
the same goes with uh, the mental health issues uh, and so on. But in the case of Roma, there are not uh, different subtypes. All Roma tend to be regarded as being the same. And the representation is domi uh, dominated by cultural essentialism and uh, racism. Um, so to move on to a different topic, um, and we'll come back to the Bromo in yes. a minute. Patients in emergency rooms often lie about exactly what's happening to them or how much pain they're in because there's this idea that if you say you're in serious pain, people take you more seriously. Are nurses usually able to tell if someone's lying? Um, well, it's very uh, difficult uh, to uh, know for sure whether the patient is lying or not because uh, the nurses are not necessarily regarding the patients as lying or uh, intentionally deceiving sometimes they consider that uh, they may not have a very good understanding you know uh, of the medical process they may not understand very well what the the family doctor because some of the patients come at the recommendation of the family doctor but whereas the family doctor may have recommended them to go to a specialist in the hospital, they come to the emergency department. And it would be impossible for the nurses to tell whether they were actually uh, intentionally deceiving them or they simply did not understand very well uh, the recommendation of the family doctor. But generally speaking, the credibility of uh, the symptoms uh, reported by the patient and the credibility of the patient's uh, uh, presentation of uh, self and presentation of the case uh, is one of the most important tasks of the triage agents. And um, this can be uh, regarded in uh, many ways. One of them is uh, when it comes to the assessment of legitimacy, uh, the nurses and clerks uh, pay attention to uh, the uh, way in which the distress is embodied because they uh, start from a very simple assumption. They consider that if a person is a genuine emergency, they must be in a situation that would not allow them to do ordinary things, to act normally they would be taken into possession by the illness. They would not be able, for example, to repost if being challenged. So very often one of the tricks that uh, the nurses and clerks are paying with the patients who, uh, whose symptoms uh, match the criteria for uh, legitima uh, legitimacy is to uh, challenge them and they are looking at how the patient is reacting if the patient is uh, actually very energetic if they are, uh, are uh, fighting back this is interpreted as being a case of uh, not a very serious condition not a genuine emergency also the nurses uh, claim to possess what they call the sixth sense this is a sort of work-related intuition that allows them to spot some abnormalities in the presentation of a patient. And there are many cases in which the patients come with very common symptoms, for example, headache or um, other um, lack of vigor and other kinds of things. And then the, the, the nurse suspects that it may be something more serious. And then they admit the patients immediately because they suspect a stroke or some other kind of problem. 
So uh, the sixth sense can go both ways, to elevate the priority level of a patient with trivial symptoms or to downgrade a patient who is actually matching the criteria for a real emergency just by looking at the symptoms. So if they regard the patient as looking normal, even though they provide the most, uh, you know, uh, distressing uh, portrait of their suffering, uh, very often the nurses are treating them as being an illegitimate case and they have to wait longer before being admitted uh, to see the doctor. Um, yeah, I guess you get pretty good at it when you see people every day. And that's day. right, yeah. Does it matter how patients tell their stories? Like whether they volunteer the information or have to be asked for it, or whether they add extra information that's not relevant? Indeed, indeed, uh, this is the case. So uh, what I was interested in uh, my project was to look not only at how the doctors, nurses, and clerks are approaching the patients, but also at uh, the agency of the patients and sometimes their families uh, and the, their ability to influence the outcomes of the triage assessment. So I realized that actually the patients have a lot of resources in uh, making uh, their case uh, stronger. But uh, very often, uh, this depends a lot on uh, their behavior that is scrutinized by uh, the nurses uh, while they are in the waiting room. For example, if a person uh, acts in a way that uh, shows no concern with the surrounding environment, if they stand still waiting, if they do not engage in conversations with others, if they are not using their mobile phone, they are not paying attention to what is on the TV and other kinds of things, they may be regarded in genuine suffering, all other things being equal. Um, if the patient is uh, limiting the voice of the life world, as I put it in the book, when they are interacting with the triage staff, uh, for example, they are not talking about anything that is unrelated to their condition when they are uh, uh, being uh, assessed, it means that uh, there is a high chance that they are in very serious uh, condition. If, on the other hand, they are very talkative, if they uh, seem to be in good spirits, they are uh, usually not regarded as very uh, a serious case. Now, in the case of uh, the patients who are negatively typified, for example, the Roma, uh, the process is even more difficult because they, uh, it's not only what they say that matters, but also uh, it is important for them to establish their trustworthiness. So being regarded as a person who is not deceiving others. Uh, the, the penchant for uh, deceit is one of the stereotypes surrounding uh, the Roma people. So um, the Roma uh, are regarded as feigning, as uh, coming with fabricated pains, imaginary illnesses, things that they actually don't have, as one of the nurses uh, uh, put it. So because of that, it is more difficult for them, as compared to the non-Roma, to establish their credibility. So they need to pass the trustworthiness te uh, test, uh, which uh, can be done uh, by doing different things. One of uh, the, the solutions that I have observed is to present their problem in a way that uh, is not 
consistent with the stereotypes surrounding the Roma community. For example, uh, I discuss in the book the case of a middle-aged Roma woman uh, who is uh, going to the emergency department with a skin problem for which there is no direct physical evidence. So she claims uh, to have, uh, she has the hand uh, swollen, but other than that, there is nothing else. She claims to uh, have an allergy and to be a very painful allergy, but there is no means to prove or disprove that claim. Everything relies on the statement of the patient and the way in which it is interpreted by the, the nurse. And during the examination, the, the nurse asked her if she washed uh, uh, clothes using chlorine. And the patient answers no, because I have a washing machine. So this may appear as a very innocuous uh, exchange, but uh, in my view, uh, it is very important. The assumption that uh, she may have uh, used the chlorine uh, is not necessarily related to the uh, ethnicity of the individual. But the answer, no, I have a washing machine, uh, is interesting in two respects. First of all, uh, there was no question about possessing or not possessing a washing machine. The patient may have uh, just not used the chlorine even if she was uh, hand washing her clothes. But by making this, uh, providing this information, she is able first to uh, uh, show that there is no physical explanation for her medical problem. And second, she is able to take some distance from the stereotype of Roma as being economically poor and uh, backward. So this is a very important way of establishing not only credibility, but at the same time, worth. So there are many, many uh, ways in which the, the patients are able to influence the outcomes of the triage assessment. Um, in the book, you talk about two different ways that ER staff interview patients. One's the bureaucratic way, um, and it's more about just jotting down information, and the other is confrontational, and it's about finding out to what extent patients might be responsible for their illness or the situation they're in. Was there a difference uh, between the two hospitals in terms of which interview strategies ER staff preferred? Yes, uh, and uh, this uh, difference that exists uh, has to do with the triage arrangement. So I have spent about uh, five months uh, at the, the county hospital, uh, actually more than five months, and one month at the city hospital. At city hospital, the triage arrangement was different because they had a shortage of nurses. This is one of the uh, big problems in Romania. There are uh, a lot of uh, nurses uh, and doctors migrating abroad. So uh, they, they dealt with this uh, shortage of nurses by delegating the task of uh, the initial triage to the data entry operators uh, known as registrator medical or um, triage clerks, as I call them in the book. So because these people do not have any kind of medical background or nursing background, they are not able to assess the severity of the case. So what they do is that every time they suspect that something is wrong, they send the patient in to be examined by a nurse or a doctor. And if the nurse or the doctor consider that they are a trivial case, they are sent back. And the order of admission is first come, first served. 
at uh, the other hospital, county hospital, uh, all the patients were prioritized based on five priority codes. So because of this arrangement, uh, one of the most important uh, sanction mechanisms uh, was lacking. The triage nurses could not engage in, uh, could not subject the patients to protracted waiting. They had to wait as much as uh, they have to wait based on their time of arrival. But at county hospital, a patient who received the blue code, which is the second lowest uh, priority code, uh, will have to wait sometimes six, seven hours or even more at times of affluence. So this was not the case at City Hospital. And because of that, the uh, moral evaluation was also less important. Because at both hospitals, if a patient was regarded as being a genuine emergency, especially if it was a life-threatening case, they would be admitted immediately, irrespective of any other uh, considerations, for example, ethnicity, age, um, social position, position in the social hierarchy, and other kind of things. So because of these uh, differences in the triage arrangements, the moral evaluation was much more uh, clear at the county hospital as compared to the city hospital. And the interactional format was also uh, adapted to this. The confrontational format was much more common at county hospital as compared to city hospital. A city, the triage uh, workers did not see the benefits of challenging the patients uh, as long as they could not influence the uh, duration of waiting. Um, and you've talked about different things that patients can do to alter the outcome of their moral evaluation. Are they able to shape the process as well? Um, or is the whole process in the hands of the triage staff? Uh, they have the uh, ultimately the decision uh, to prioritize them at county hospital stays with the nurses and the doctors. Uh, and I have to, to mention that because uh, the um, triage nurses are the ones who are proposing a code. But uh, if the code is red or orange, the patients are admitted immediately. If the patient receives a green code, there would be a pile of uh, patient files that would be sent to the doctor and the doctor may prioritize those uh, patients based on their own criteria. So um, there is some leeway that the patients have in influencing the outcomes, especially when they receive the green code. And one of them is to present their case uh, in a way that is consistent with the expectations of the uh, medical personnel. For example, insisting on the fact that they are using the hospital in a responsible way, that they are not abusing the emergency department, are not regarding it as a substitute, a convenient substitute for the primary care. For example, if they are able to uh, uh, volunteer the information that they try to reach the family doctor, but they are not uh, able to do that for various reasons that are independent of themselves, they would be able to pass as reasonable users of the, uh, the service. Also, if they are uh, able to um, show that they have no personal responsibility for the condition, if they have uh, no way to be blamed for the medical problem, they have a higher likelihood to be regarded as being reasonable users uh, if they are not uh, legitimate cases. 
So uh, there are many strategies uh, through which the patients can uh, portray themselves in a better light. And the focus on legitimacy and reasonableness uh, is relatively rare. What happens more often uh, is that the patients are trying to establish themselves as worthy individuals. They want to show that they are not ordinary people, but they stand out through something that they have done. For example, showing that they have jobs, that they take care of uh, children or grandchildren, that uh, they are involved in community activities, for example, doing volunteering, um, volunteering work and other kind of uh, things. Uh, this is uh, um, very important, but uh, uh, from what I have seen, it depends a lot on how this information is presented. Because if this information is presented in a reactive way and without too much passion, it is uh, more likely to be accepted and taken at face value by the people conducting the triage assessment. If the persons uh, want to brag about their position, if they are too vocal about their worth, usually this backfires. And I had the case of a, a companion uh, whose son was um, uh, a colonel in the army, and she complained about the fact that, uh, despite the fact that he is nothing less than a colonel, as she put it, he still had to wait in line among all the other people. So in that case, the uh, attempt to manufacture worse did not work well, and the person had to wait uh, for a longer time. So there is a, a lot of uh, uh, involvement uh, of the patients in negotiating the access and especially the conditions of access, the timing of the duration of waiting. Um, you've mentioned before that one group that finds this particularly difficult is Roma. Um, and they're seen often as less deserving of treatment than others, even though ultimately at an ER everyone does get helped um, eventually. Do you think this attitude, the um, prejudice against Roma, emerges from the interviews or from experiences inside the emergency room, or is it a reflection of a general societal um, racism uh, I would say that uh, it is mostly a reflection of the wider stereotypes surrounding the Roma community, but uh, it is also related to the personal experiences of interacting with the Roma patients. And I was uh, very um, puzzled by an information that was recurrent in the interviews and the informal talks with uh, the triage workers. Uh, when uh, asking about Roma, or when they were talking about Roma, they tended to be regarded as being very aggressive. Some of them consider that the Roma are aggressive by nature. Others consider that it's something that has to do with their culture. Uh, others said that, uh, still others said that actually uh, not all of them are uh, uh, aggressive, only some of them. But this was um, the the attribute that was most often associated to the Roma, the aggressivity. So when I uh, conducted the interviews, I started asking them about uh, specific examples of Roma being violent or being aggressive. And what I found out was that even though everybody agreed with the fact that the Roma are aggressive, there were very few stories 
that could have been provided to support that claim. And very often the nurses told me that actually it didn't happen to them, but it happened to other people. There were some generic statements about Roma being aggressive. Well, sometimes there was a double interview. I had uh, two nurses who were at the same time in the triage room when I was conducting the interview. And one of them gave me the example of the people who were like very violent on a Christmas night. But the other person said that actually they are not Roma. And the first person agreed that they are not Roma. So I was very interested in understanding why there is this stereotype reproduced despite evidence empirical evidence that the Roma are actually aggressive. So this was the apparent paradox of Roma aggression that I have uh, documented uh, in uh, the book and I've tried to explain. And I have seen that uh, uh, there are several uh, factors which uh, the Roma are regarded as, uh, um, as aggressive. One of them uh, is... Um, the tendency to uh, ethnicize violence. Uh, the other one uh, was uh, uh, the way of conventionalizing the Roma aggression, which basically uh, means to applying the same framework to make sense of events that happened outside the hospital. For example, talking about um, there was an incident at a maternity ward uh, in the same city where the county hospital is located. And the report did not make any mention to the ethnicity of the uh, person who uh, died, but uh, there was a, a reference to a big scandal. And one of the nurses uh, said if it was a big scandal, it means that she was a gypsy. So uh, she um, basically uh, regarded this as being so deeply uh, embedded in the Roma way of being that it could not have occurred outside the Roma community. So these kind of mechanisms are uh, translating the, uh, you know, the, the, the wider uh, stereotypes uh, into the uh, social world of the emergency department. And I was also paying attention to the ways in which uh, the Roma people behave. And I could identify three strategies uh, three interactional strategies. One of them was the submission. Submission means that they were basically doing whatever they believed that the nurses and clerks expected them to do. They would not challenge the nurses. They would not repost if being challenged. They would uh, be as calm and peaceful as possible. And what I have seen is that even though the nurses are very happy when the Roma are acting in this way, they do not uh, get any kind of reward for this behavior. They tend to be subjected to long periods of waiting. The second strategy that I have identified is the exact opposite, is the hard line. And this means being confrontational, showing no concern with saving the face of uh, the other person. So um, acting in a very verbally aggressive way is a way of trying to intimidate the nurse. And even though the nurses are very, uh, show very little sympathy for this strategy, in reality, actually the strategy pays off because the nurses are more likely to admit the patients earlier than other people. Even though they do not like them, even though they may 
do not consider that case as being uh, 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 a real emergency. They just want to get rid of these patients and because they cannot uh, deny access, the only way of getting rid of them is admitting them immediately. So this is a strategy that pays off and it is a strategy that is consistent with the stereotype of being aggressive. So in a way, the uh, 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 triage workers are creating the conditions of possibility for the reproduction of this stereotype. There was another strategy uh, that was uh, I called soft resistance, uh, which was used by uh, middle class uh, urban Roma in interacting with the, the triage workers. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, I would say that uh, it's very difficult to say where it comes from, but I would say that uh, most of the uh, ideas surrounding the Roma have nothing to do with what can be assessed at the triage uh, booth. For example, the nurses and clerks talk about the economic situation, the family relations, and the housing conditions, and other things that they have no information about from the patient themselves. So this is an import from the society at large. At the same time, they are very often interpreting what is going on at the emergency department uh, in the light of uh, these stereotypes. For example, a patient engaging or adopting a hardline approach um, is very likely to be regarded as being an ordinary Roma because Roma are considered to be aggressive without realizing that actually their way of uh, uh, handling the Roma patients is incentivizing them to act in such a way. Mm, that's that's really interesting. Um, that's about all we've got time for today, but I feel like now I know how to behave next time I go to an emergency room um, and how to be a better patient. Thank you very much for this uh, very interesting uh, conversation and for the opportunity to uh, discuss my book.